Social media. Oh, if there ever was a love-hate relationship, this would be it. Now, it can connect us with people that we love during a global pandemic. But it can also cause riots based on fake news. So then, should we use it to grow our business? And if so, how do we wield the power of social media? Can we actually know that it's working, like actually really know that it's working for us? Welcome to the Impact of Leadership podcast, where we believe that no one drifts into excellence. I'm your host, Steve Shear, and this episode is a case study, so to speak, on how LinkedIn can grow your organization. Really. Today's conversation is with Jackie Hermes. She is the founder and CEO of Excelity, the co-founder of Women's Entrepreneurship Week. She's a mom and she is killing it on LinkedIn. I mentioned the mom thing because that's part of who she is and part of what you'll see on LinkedIn and part of her success. Now, there are tons of other practical tips inside this episode outside of being authentic. So if you're running or driving, you might want to pause this podcast right now and say something like, hey, Siri, remind me in an hour about that LinkedIn podcast, and then just keep listening. But whether you use Siri or not, I hope you take action on Jackie's tips. So let's jump in to Jackie talking about her view on social media as a business owner. I think that's changed a lot over time. Uh, I actually just gave a talk yesterday at a conference talking about the company brand versus a personal brand. And I think both are important to establish, but especially like we work with startups and small companies that are often so focused on the company brand and it is so hard as a company to cut through the noise, especially when you're just getting started. So I advise our clients, and I mean, it's a case study, what we're doing at Excelity is building a personal brand often helps you cut through that noise a lot faster and more effectively. So I am two and a half years into my LinkedIn journey and have been able to build like a really amazing audience. We have actually, I don't talk about the company whatsoever. Uh, I mean, people have to kind of go to my page and find, you know, find what company I own and go to the website. And it's set up like that on purpose, because I really want to relate to their journey building a company because I'm right there with them. Right. Um, But that said, we still get tons of leads from the platform and we have closed over a million dollars in sales in two and a half years from LinkedIn. So like no brainer. I know it's crazy. You hit on something, uh, two different things, actually, the the numbers thing, uh, which I want to highlight again in a second, but Um, also I was going to bring this up. I don't see you post hardly ever, if, if ever about, you know, software as a service or marketing, uh, that type of thing very often. So can you unpack that just a little bit more of, of what that does? Um, how does that actually work? Cause the, the old school side of things is get your information in front of people as quickly as possible. But what you're saying is you can, it seems like you can benefit more in the long run if you don't do that that way. So unpack that a little bit more about how you approach it. I would say that most companies and most people that are building a personal brand on behalf of a company talk more about their industry, their product or service than I do. So I would say my case study is a little abnormal. And usually I'm talking about it once a week, 
uh, at most because what I'm doing is I'm building my audience specific to the people I want to reach on the back end. And then I'm trying to relate to them in a different way, right? So mm-hmm. we we have a number of different industries that we work in. So we're working with B2B software companies, pre-revenue up to usually like 30, 40, 50 million dollars. It depends what their marketing department looks like. And we work in construction SaaS, education SaaS. Um, banking and finance, healthcare, insurance. Those are some of the main areas we work in. And so what we do is we go and build those lists of the people we want to reach at the companies we would like to work with in those industries. And then we're adding them on the back end. So I'm connecting with them through my social media platform. And then they're seeing my content, but it's not selling them anything, right? It's them, Mm -hmm. It's them getting to know me. It's them like, oh, I have those struggles as a business owner too, or I'm fundraising and here's Jackie talking about raising an event that she's hosting. Maybe I should attend that. So it's approaching it in a little different way. But I think that's a mistake a lot of people make on social media is they're not intentional about who they put in their network. They're more just putting out messaging and hoping people will come, which works to a point, but it doesn't to build you a really large audience. Let's zoom in on LinkedIn for for the rest of the time as much as we can. So if you could um, give give a few stats to help illuminate your progression uh, and, and then your reach on the LinkedIn platform. It's interesting because it fluctuates. It seems like whenever LinkedIn puts out updates of any kind, I kind of have to re-figure out what works, which is a really great challenge so that I'm not mm-hmm. just like putting out the same stuff for two and a half years, like, oh, this is great. So uh, I actually, when I joined the platform, I my first few posts got tons of eyeballs on them because people weren't creating video at that time. Now there are lots of video creators on the platform and now you have to figure out what else works, right? So there's like those Mm -hmm. image sliders or text posts seem to be going really crazy right now. Um, So I constantly have to adjust my strategy in how much I'm putting out and what format. And then you have to balance that with what feels right to you for the message, right? Like even though video posts aren't getting as much traction right now, there are some topics that I want to talk about that I feel are only a fit for video. Like I talked about um, staying cool in tense situations. And I was referring to a situation that I had a few weekends ago with my teenage daughter, which has been like my first time parenting a teenager. And I'm learning really how to stay cool with her attitude, you know, and I really I felt that I could only tell that story accurately through video. Um, So I think you have to match the medium that seems best for your message with what the algorithm says to do. I remember seeing that video because when you talked about your teenage daughter, I started connecting with, okay, well, I don't have a teenager yet, but this is relatable. Where's the software as a server? Where's the, where's the SaaS communication? So that's why I'm so looking forward to this, but because I was leaning into that um, and I wanted to know more about what you do. But the stats uh, from from followers, like, did you start off on LinkedIn and just have like a million followers or what has that looked like uh, to help people that are listening in that might be struggling with maybe a 200 current, you know, connections on LinkedIn? Like, what, what does that look like for you? You know what? Even today, I think I'm in like the 70,000 range, which is not a small amount, but it's also not mm-hmm. one of those people that you've seen like skyrocket to a million followers on LinkedIn, right? Like I've been kind of like taking the slow and steady wins the rates approach where I'm trying to be really deliberate and put out really quality content. 
um, and not be gimmicky or clickbaity or anything like that. Not saying that all of those people that have a ton of followers do that, but some do. And that just doesn't align with my goals on the platform. Um, I think I started with maybe 1,500 to 2,000 connections because I started my professional career as a recruiter long, long ago, and people would connect with me all the time. So I just had like an old existing network, but I hadn't posted anything. I mean, I I was reposting blogs from my company here and there, maybe once every month or two, and they were getting like two likes when I started. So that, that helps. Uh, it helps me feel a little bit more, uh, a little bit more normal. And when I, when I hear 70,000, uh, to me, that's a, you've got a city, uh, essentially a good, a good size city, uh, that, that is watching you on LinkedIn. So, uh, each of the few dozen posts on LinkedIn that I've seen from you are, as this conversation is unfolding, showing the audience that you are authentic and relatable, which those two things are really refreshing to me. It's not clickbait stuff. Uh, so what is your process in crafting a post for LinkedIn and how has that evolved over the years? I know you just mentioned pushing out blogs and then having your own content, but what was the, what, what is your current process for, for crafting a post for LinkedIn? When I got started, it was much more based on me being inspired to talk about certain things. And I think that everyone who creates content goes through like waves, you know, where sometimes you feel inspired every single day and you have something to talk about. And then sometimes I go through months where I'm like, ah, you know, I, or I feel like an imposter or I'm trying to make a breakthrough in my own professional career. And I don't feel like going out and, you know, like preaching to people about what I'm doing because I don't even know if I know what I'm doing. And so I have found that I need someone to hold me accountable. Um, our executive assistant at my company just helps me every week. Like, okay, what do you want to talk about? What are the topics that you came across in the last week as you were reading, listening to podcasts or whatever? And she helps me maintain a schedule so that I get content out consistently. I think if you're doing it on your own, that is the biggest challenge is getting it out consistently because I want it to feel authentic. And sometimes when you don't feel like you have something to say, it's hard to feel authentic. Every week or two, we're kind of looking out like, okay, here are the events for Women's Entrepreneurship Week that I would like to promote. And here are you know, any other pieces of content. But honestly, I get inspiration from all over the place and I keep a note in my phone. Um, mm -hmm. It's it, Once you start creating content, you kind of start thinking in content. Like I'll have a conversation with my kids. I'm like, oh, that would be a great thing to talk about on LinkedIn. And then I'll jot down some notes. I actually get a ton of inspiration when I'm on um, the Peloton bike because the instructors are so like motivational and inspirational. They'll say something and I'm like, wow, that really hit home for me. And I'll grab my phone and jot down some notes. So that's kind of how I keep coming up with it. And it's okay to talk about topics over again, too. You know, I think that mm -hmm. some creators have this, this feeling like they don't want to be repetitive. So they are trying to always come up with new stuff where, you know, there's always more people to have similar conversations with. And I like to keep my, keep my content in the same buckets. That's good. So uh, I heard accountability, intentionality. Uh, pushing through the mundane or the lulls when you don't feel as inspired. Uh, is, is, do you, have you come up with like a set standard um, that you filter each post through or anything like that? Through my eyeballs, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I mean, I am a pretty, picky is a bad word because it has a negative connotation, but I have a really, 
I have a strong idea of what I want out of content. So, you know, if my team's helping me edit a video and it's not right, I'll send it back to them. Um, I like mm -hmm. the, co the copy to be exactly as, you know, I want it to be because I think it takes a certain kind of copy to get eyeballs on your content. You have to be a really good, uh, I want to say sales copywriter, but you have to be good mm -hmm. with like building that post. Um, there is a post structure that I found works really well, which is, opening with a, like a really strong question or a hook of some kind, telling a story, and then adding the takeaways from that story. I'll usually add with like emojis or bullets at the end, and then a prompt to people asking a question. Um, if you're not asking questions, it's a lot harder for people to know how to engage. So that is, I send that to my team all the time. And I look at like social posts for our clients. I'm like, here's a format I would like to follow. Um, I think that we have to make our copy longer and kind of more descriptive and prescriptive when we are putting copy out on LinkedIn and some people aren't adding enough context. It's really good. And you're paying attention. I'll add that to my list of, of uh, adjectives. You're, you have to be aware because uh, mm -hmm. what you just said, you know, you're, you're taking notes when you're in conversations with your, oh, that's a good thing with the kid situation. That could be beneficial that you're paying attention to what your customers are using or other folks on LinkedIn. And I want to take a piece of that. So that's good. That's really good. So uh, talk a little bit about uh, frequency of posting. Have you found a sweet spot? Yeah. I mean, I'm typically posting four to five times a week and uh, there are, we test different days. Usually the morning posts are working a little bit better. I often will post on Sunday nights and those posts will roll into Monday. Um, but I mean, sometimes when I'm not feeling as inspired, it's two to three times a week, I think. Sure. Yeah, I think you can't put pressure on yourself to pump out content all the time because it, you know, that's when it starts to feel inauthentic. So if I'm not feeling it or I'm really busy, I'll put out two posts a week and that's that. But I aim for four to five. So uh, it might seem like a, kind of a straightforward or softball question, but I'm, I'm interested to know what makes a post successful. So in your eyes, what is a successful post? Is it reactions? Is it comments? Is it just that you felt like this was the right thing to say? Like what, how do you view a successful post? I used to really look at it in a metrics based way, right? So it's reactions, it's comments, it's whatever. And I've noticed that in the past few months, my posts haven't been getting as much of that, but we're still getting leads. I'm getting people in my inbox, like cheering me on saying this really resonated with me or thank you for making me think those are the things that just make you feel good and that I love to see. And then of course, when we're getting, you know, leads in for the company, that's a great metric too. So I do track every week. I look at what I posted in the last week. Um, I look at, so I track it all in just like a pretty rudimentary spreadsheet, but it's just for my own knowledge, how many leads are we getting in? Were we able to generate any revenue from my LinkedIn presence in the last week? What post had the highest amount of interaction and what was the topic and what had the lowest amount and why? So I'm looking at things like, when did I post it? Um, did I do a good job interacting with it? Or did I post it in between meetings and then run away and didn't interact mm -hmm. until 12 hours later? You know, so the post died right away. And it helps me understand what works and what doesn't work a little bit better. It's a, um, a practice that a lot of business leaders do when it comes to their their business or their team of, uh, you know, the, the, the SWOT analysis, kind of a, an approach, but then after action report is what one of my managers used to say. 
Uh, so after the the sale or after the loss of the sale, you're breaking down why it worked, why it didn't work, what did you say, what didn't, what's repeatable. But I can speak for myself. I don't do what you just said. So that's really really valuable. Uh, tracking number of leads, what worked, timing, lowest interaction, highest interaction, um, and maybe even mental state of like uh, timing when you said uh, literal timing of was I running into a meeting and then. Uh, when did I get back to it to interact with people? So that's that's helpful. I, I keep notes on everything and it ends up being the ones that don't do well are when I'm promoting something specifically or when I'm not doing well interacting. So it's like, I would almost rather post nothing if I don't have time to go and interact with it. So that's just something to ponder. That's good. I want to go a little bit deeper into content creation. Uh, you utilize video frequently. I know you said that you were uh, an early adopter to that. But in your in your posts, um, you use video, but not all the time. So mm-hmm. could you break down a little bit the rationale behind choosing video or text or both as the medium? And how do you come up with topics themselves if there's more to add to that? Text posts are a lot more likely to go like LinkedIn viral lately. Um, you, I think that's what you see the most is people that have really catchy text posts. So if I have something that is a short, sweet message, I will usually put it in text. Something I've been testing lately actually is doing really insanely short text posts and then putting the rest of the post in a comment on the post, which which is cool because then you get people like reading into the comments and interacting there and stuff like that. So when I have something short to say, I guess, that's when I'm doing text or when it's really like catchy or a really strong opinion that I can explain in a few sentences that's when I'll do it. When I need to add more context, that's when I'll shoot a video. And frankly, part of video is like, did I get ready that day? Now I'm working at home 24 seven. My kids are at home half the time. I'm like in workout gear all the time, you know? So uh, that is not really a good measuring stick, but that's part of my decision-making process. Well, that's good. And uh, to that, if you want to see a a video of how to wrap a scarf around a uh, Star Wars shirt, And look presentable for a video call. She has that. Jackie has that on LinkedIn. I saw it. I use that strategy so much. Well, if you didn't want people to see it, you wouldn't have put it out there. (laughs) It's so funny. I seriously, I like just like curling the first few pieces of your hair and, uh, and getting on video. I mean, I'm hardly even doing that anymore. I feel like I'm getting to see now what people really look like because people are just getting on calls in their sweatshirts and whatever all the time. It's just a totally different ballgame. And I kind of love it. I do too. I think Pat Lanchoni said that that's one of the things he doesn't want to let go of is actually seeing people how they are at times. You know, obviously you don't want people always wiping the eye boogers out of their face when they, they should be ready for the meeting. <laughs> right. but, but it is nice, refreshing to see um, humans behind mm-hmm. the, 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 the work uh, with their kid or their dog. Um, and to your point about curling the first couple of pieces of hair, uh, my brother, who hopefully doesn't get caught up with this, but my brother actually has been growing out uh, a mullet a little bit, but he, but people oh that he God. works with can't, they can't see it because he cuts the, his own hair. So it looks really nice. And then when he turns around, he's got this, you know, beautiful little mane of hair. So anyway, side note, a but COVID real life. COVID mullet. You know, That's amazing. Go. I love always it. Combating, combating <laughs> the, the COVID depression. So uh, as, as we start to um, wind down, I do have a couple more questions, maybe three more. Yeah. I'd like to hear some of the things uh, about some of the things that, that we don't see on a post that has 15 or 20,000 views. So what I mean is 
uh, how do you deal with the imposter syndrome, with trolls, and when a post seems to flop? How do you deal with that stuff? I mean, I feel imposter syndrome all all the time. And it's funny because every time I talk to people about this, they're like, oh, you feel imposter syndrome? I'm like, yeah, I bet a lot of people that are way more successful than me feel imposter syndrome too. I think it's very common. And I think now people are starting to talk about it, which is really fantastic because we need to normalize it. For example, yesterday I gave a keynote um, one of the first keynotes I've been able to give virtually since everything went virtual from COVID. And I, I didn't sleep for like two days. I mean, and that's an exaggeration. I, I just didn't sleep well because sure. I was nervous about it. And I, I do so much public speaking that I don't think people would ever think things like that make me nervous, but I was, right? And it's because I feel like an imposter when I do things like that. And I'm like, why am I keynoting a conference? What really you know, like what qualifications or what was I able mm -hmm. to do to get here? Um, and what I found is just pushing through it and doing it anyway. Um, public speaking has always been something that it really terrified me. When I was in high school and college and had to get up in front of just the class, my heart would race. And it was just like this biological response that made me really scared because I would get really red right, and I would get really shaky and I felt like I couldn't do it. And so I started telling myself this narrative that I wasn't good at public speaking and I wasn't cut out to do it. And maybe three or four years ago, uh, probably five years ago at this point, I set out to change that, right? And I said, every time someone asks me to speak, I'm going to say yes. And it went from audiences of five to audiences of 50 to 100 to last September, I did an engagement in front of a thousand people. And it was freaking terrifying but the only way that I got there and over that imposter syndrome is to keep saying yes. And I think the more you're able to combat it that way, hopefully the less you feel it. The trolls thing is interesting because I would say nine out of 10 times that I get a really rude message or a terrible comment, I'm like, whatever. You know, like I, I have gotten to this point where I can understand that what's happening is not about me. It's about that person and how they're feeling. And, you know, and I can respond and say, like, you know, like, I'm sorry for whatever you're going through feel free to message me, whatever. I've actually been able to smooth over a lot doing that. But then there's that one time out of 10 where I get upset, right? And it makes me angry. And I think it's probably the ones that hit a little closer to home that I feel maybe partially true or, you know, make me defensive. Um, and then, it, I mean, sometimes it's just a process of processing it, process of processing, um, speaking to my fiance about it. Um, I did put out uh, like response to trolls, like Jimmy Kimmel's mean tweets video once. And that made me feel really good because I was getting a lot of like kind of rude comments. And so by being able to kind of take my power back and reading the comments and reacting to them on video and like talking about talking to these people, but in like a fun and funny way, it mm -hmm. made me feel a lot better. So I think you have to figure out what helps you take that, you know, take your power back, I guess. That's good. And um, it's great to talk about people's successes, 15,000, 20,000 views, but what happens, what do you do with a post that, that flops if you have those still? Oh, I mean, it's it's been happening all the time lately. Like I said, in the last six to eight months, I just have not been getting as many eyeballs. And it's interesting because I think I know what I need to do to get more views on my content, which is 
getting a little more opinionated or doing more text instead of other formats. And I just don't want to do it. So I'm kind of making that decision. I mean, it doesn't feel good, but it's a it's a learning lesson, right? So when you look at every post that has those 20, 30, however many thousand views versus the ones that don't do as well, to me, it's a game of comparing why that happened and then understanding if there's still value in putting out the content that isn't going as far. For me, I still do it because it's things like promoting events that I'm involved in and other, those are the posts that don't do as well. But I still want to get the word out because we're featuring really amazing female speakers that are building businesses. And I want, you know, even if I can get three people to register from LinkedIn, it's worth it to me. Yeah, you, th- that makes sense. You post it when you believe in it, and if it serves a purpose beyond yourself and reactions, you know you're going to post it. That's good. That's that's re- reassuring to me as well. And I did see that that trolls video also, <laughs> and uh, it was very funny. So again, check out uh, Jackie on LinkedIn. You gotta you gotta see that trolls one. Uh, two more questions. One is about your leadership journey, and then uh, one to help us close out. So the first question is is little bit of a heavier question about your leadership journey, but really interested to know who or what has had the biggest impact on how you view leadership and, and why did it have that impact on you? I think that my opinion about leadership is constantly changing and it's my business coach, Rebecca Heideprim is amazing. I've been working with her for like five years and she constantly challenges me on my intent and my motivation to do things, which I think is really helpful. Um, You know, so like if I say something, we'll talk about LinkedIn and she'll say, is that you or is that your ego talking? And I'm like, oh, Mm. I don't want to answer that question, but it's very good. It's a good question, right? And so I think that having someone that she has helped me develop this ability to look in the mirror by myself and say, what is my intent? What do I expect the outcome to be? How can I best deliver this? Um, so she just makes me think in a totally different way, but I think leadership and especially developing the skills to manage other people is an ongoing thing. It's going to be going on forever as long as I am in a leadership role and I'm constantly trying to connect or connect the dots and collect information from different sources like podcasts, like I'm an avid reader. I'm usually reading at least a business book a month, um, just trying to always hold the mirror up to myself and making sure that I'm doing what I should be doing. That said, sometimes I feel like, wow, I'm a great leader. And sometimes I feel like I'm terrible at it. And it's just, mm-hmm. you know, that's that imposter syndrome thing again. Mm-hmm. And the reality of being human, which it's a good reminder because social media can paint a picture, not just of you, but of anyone mm-hmm. of just only having success, nothing but success is over here. We're going to just keep killing it. Well, that's not real. That's not life. Um, so thank you for for sharing that. Uh, vulnerability to me is another uh, very attractive quality in leaders that that I identify with. So thank you for sharing that stuff. Absolutely. Last question that I've got for you is um, where where should folks go from here to keep the conversation going with you? Hit me up on LinkedIn. We've talked about that a lot, but I'm mm-hmm. always there answering messages and stuff like that. And really, I'm happy to help anyone who has questions. If I can answer them or point them in the right, the right direction, make introductions, you know, whatever it may be. I think that if we all have that like servant mindset where we're here to help other people on our team and beyond, that is the best way to do it, in my opinion. Jackie, thank you. This has been very, very valuable. And uh, for those of you that are listening in, 
please check the show notes. You're going to want to check those. We're going to put several links in there, uh, not just LinkedIn for Jackie, but other links also that will give you opportunities to connect with her outside of that. Uh, Thank you, Jackie, again for your time and uh, for sharing this information with us. Yes, this was a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You bet. Okay, so takeaway and action item. Takeaway. Like anything in life that's worth doing, driving leads through social media will not just happen for you. It'll take intentionality, reflection, your time, some accountability, and in my opinion, a very strong why to keep going when feeling uninspired or if you get targeted by some insecure people in the comments section. Action item, try it. Try allowing someone to question your motive for a social media presence in the first place. And then try posting content that adds value versus gets reactions. Try utilizing LinkedIn as a tool versus seeing it as simply business Facebook. What if? What if it does work? To get more content, go to ccbtechnology.com podcast. You'll have access to dozens of other conversations just like this one here that will aid in your growth as a leader. And if you're listening on your phone, please click subscribe. Share this episode with a friend or a colleague and consider giving us a five-star rating and possibly typing out a review. We appreciate it big time and it helps spread the word about the information that we're putting out here. So thank you. And as always, from all of us at CCB Technology, thanks for listening.